0: I'm Pastor Mike Winger and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. Okay, so tonight we're going to be talking about supposed contradictions in the Bible. Um, We've talked so far in our series on evidence for the Bible, we've talked about prophecy as being like a foundational thing for knowing that the Word of God is in fact God having spoken to us. Prophecy is really a much bigger deal than the issue of contradictions. Um, We've talked about... Um, has the Bible been changed? What are the ancient sources for the documents themselves? We've talked about a lot of different stuff that is actually more foundational to defending the Bible. But then the issue of contradictions comes up way more than those other things. This is more of the like on the street. This is the stuff you actually end up talking about when you're like, well, did you know that Codex Sinaiticus? Like they're not really talking about that. They're talking about supposed contradictions in the Bible. So a lot of us have heard this claim. The Bible is full of contradiction. Just absolutely full of it. Just utterly, ridiculously, pathetically, obviously, the Bible couldn't be from God because it's full of contradictions. We've heard that. How should we respond when someone says the Bible's full of contradictions? Any any thoughts? Yeah. You do the Missouri thing, the show me state, right? <laughs> show me one. In fact, here let me give you a careful response I think is a very good response. And it's very important that you say it this way. You say Please give me your best example. You don't just say, please give me an example. You say, give me your best example. Because you want to later, after you chase down the issue, you want to be able to say, hey, that was your best example. Because what will happen is, they don't give you their best example. They give you just a random example and then you chase it down and then they give you another one. And you chase it down and they give you another one until you're just tired of running through the process of researching things and coming back with responses and researching. So ask for their best example right away. The best. Um, One atheist website actually says out there that there is not only a contradiction in the Bible, but there are 40,000 contradictions in the Christian Bible. I haven't, I mean, who even has time to read all of those contradictions? 40,000 contradictions. The, the thing that they're going for here is ultimately quantity over quality. So we're going to talk about specific contradictions today. We'll get into that. But first, I just want to do this quick overview. They'll talk about quantity over quality. I don't have a fantastic example of how the Bible is ridiculously in contradiction to itself. And if I give you an example, you can probably find a, a reasonable way around it. So instead, I'll just give you a thousand examples and then just sort of drown you in them. In conversation, in arguments, when we do couples counseling, we encourage people not to do this. Not to hit people with quantity over quality in discussions, you know, where you just dump 50 different things you don't like about them. 50 different things that you haven't liked that they've done over the past 10 years. All at once. There's just no human can respond to all this information at once. And that's kind of what they're counting on. Um, Another atheist website um, infidels.org actually fantastic website with really accurate carefully researched information not so much um, infidels.org it actually in preface to the, the over 300 contradictions they have on that website it says and I'm, I'm paraphrase. but here's what they say they give you a, an admission they say we know, we, we know that a lot of these aren't necessarily contradictions but I think that a holy God shouldn't allow it to even look like there might be contradictions in the Bible And you see what's what's happening is the atheist here is raising the bar so high for the Bible not just to be true or accurate, but for it to just be like, (laughs) even an atheist couldn't think anything negative about it, which is, of course, not possible. No matter how true something is, there's always someone who thinks it's wrong. Um, So a lot of the examples are not good, but yeah, that's just how it is. The other thing that atheists tend to do, and I, I, I target atheists here not because of any animosity towards them, it's just because they're the most vocal uh, uh, people who attack the Bible tend to be atheists, uh, not always. Um, also, uh, Muslims, apologists, Muslim apologists, they attack the Bible frequently, um, and uh, cult groups, Mormonism, for instance, they will, when pinned, actually attack the Bible. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a, a flip of a switch. All of a sudden, they're attacking the scriptures because they have to defend their theology, which doesn't flow from Scripture, so sometimes they'll be put in a corner where they have to attack it, but the most vocal internet groups attacking the Bible are atheistic groups that I'm aware of. Uh, One of the things they do, right, they do quantity over quality, another issue they have is they ignore the responses. I've seen atheists offer really bad examples of contradictions in the Bible and then I know that they know the reasonable way to resolve this supposed contradiction. And then they repeat that same one again and again later in different scenarios. And this is very regular. It'd be like if I had a false attack on Catholicism and I knew it was a false attack, but I just keep using it over and over again. That's just deception. That's just being a deceptive individual. And that's, unfortunately, that happens a lot. So let's actually look at some examples of specific supposed contradictions in the Bible. And one of, and these, these I'm drawing from sources who attack the Bible, like uh the one here today. I believe it was Barterman I heard say this one. How many angels were at the tomb? This is the question. How many angels were at the tomb? Speaking of Christ's empty tomb after the resurrection. Let's read the passage, Matthew 28. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men because, uh, but the angel of the Lord answered and said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he is risen as he said. So we would say it appears there are how many angels? There's just one angel. Okay, well then we go to a parallel passage in the gospel of John, John chapter 20, It says, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. So John says how many? Two. This is a pretty typical example of a type of of, of supposed contradiction. The idea here, now you have to understand not just that they're saying it's a contradiction. You have to know why they're saying it. They're saying your Bible couldn't be from God because... Was there one or were there two angels? Okay, this is why the contradiction issue is being brought up. It's to, it's to undermine our, our trust in the word of God. So John says there too. What's the solution? Well, it's not a contradiction. It's further information. This seems apparent. Uh, it just seems to be obvious. Matthew never says there was only one angel. That would be a difficulty. That would be like, wow, okay, now let's really think about this. How are we going to resolve this issue? He never says there was only one angel. He just specifically talks about one angel as though he's focused on the one that spoke, the one that said things out loud. The other account, John, is focused on what she saw. And so it seems to just carry it slightly differently. We do this all the time in normal conversation. I went to the movies. Really? What would you see? Oh, I saw that new... uh, I don't know, Harry Potter movie. I I can't think of any movies right now. I saw that new movie that came out. Oh, how was it? Oh, it was really good. And then you're talking to your friends later and you're like, me and Susie went to the movies. And someone says, well, you had a contradiction. Earlier you told me it was just you. Well, I didn't say it was just me. I said I went, which is true. Later I told them more information. Me and Susie went. We do this all the time in normal conversation. Matthew is simply more interested in the angel that's, that's seated on the stone and John is speaking of the two inside the tomb, Uh, there could have possibly been three angels. That's a a possibility. We don't know because we're not given an exact detail account of every single moment. We're just given some specific points to get the story across. So that's one of these apparent contradictions or supposed contradictions. Let's do another one. Who was Jesus? Was Jesus the carpenter or was he the carpenter's son? Now you're thinking, Mike, This is ridiculous. You are going to call this a supposed contradiction? Who in their right mind would bring this up as a contradiction and attack the Bible? Mike, you are picking the weakest link as you are just as you are actually Peter Jennings, famous news anchor from the 1983 to 2005, he asked this in his um, in search or the search for Jesus, this documentary that he produced. Um, ABC News. In fact, there's the uh, the picture of it right there. A journalist investigation, journalistic investigation of the most influential person in human history presented with ABC News presents, Peter Jennings reporting. So it's presented as this is all fact, right? This is carefully researched fact. Well, he says um, this issue, who was Jesus? And here's what he bases it on. Okay, so Mark, or excuse me, Matthew 13, 55. Is this not the carpenter's son is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So it's the carpenter's son. But then in a parallel passage in Mark 6.3, in the same place, pretty much the same event, says, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. So who is the real Jesus? Now, what you have to know is that Peter Jennings presents this like it is a serious problem for Bible-believing Christians. A serious problem. He goes, who was the real Jesus? The car? Well, it seems to me to be obvious. This is further inf- information. It's not a contradiction. If you're familiar with life before the 1900, you know, industrial boom <laughs> and really the technology generation that came out of that afterwards, then you know that for the most part, you did whatever your parents did. If they herded sheep, you herded sheep. If your dad was a carpenter, you were a carpenter too. This is not a difficult thing. It's just further information, not a contradiction. Here's my question. Why would this prominent reporter under the auspices of the authority and, and fact-basedness of ABC News, why would he use such an obviously poor example and use such poor reasoning? Here's what he said, discussing his motives for his film. He says, Do not be confused. That my interest in religion, faith, and spirituality is driven by any sense of faith or spirituality of my own. You see, Peter Jennings, okay, when you do a report on Jesus and who's Jesus, you know what happens next? You make a large amount of money. Unless you're saying Jesus is who the Bible says he is and then you're just a Christian, you know, proselytizer trying to evangelize everybody and stuff like that, that's a little different. But if you're you're challenging the biblical idea of Jesus, you make lots of cash. Because there's a large group of people out there that are very titillated and excited by the idea of scandal related to Jesus. Just look at the Da Vinci Code, one of the most unhistoric things that has somehow become history in the minds of many people. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> this is a common mistake that a lot of people make and it's easily fixed by just checking the passage carefully. Most of the contradictions, supposed contradictions, if you just carefully look at the passage and just use your brain, you'll be able to work out the solution. It won't be that much of an issue. Again, it's further information, not a contradiction. It's like the, the book, The Tale of Two Cities. Anybody know the opening line, The Tale of Two Cities? Yes. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Well, which was it? Was it the best of times or was it the worst of times? Obviously, there's a contradiction that fatally destroys the story here. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But what happens is we take um, standards oftentimes that we would never apply anywhere else. And we make these sort of ridiculous standards and apply them to the Bible. Like standards for truthfulness that we wouldn't apply to anywhere else in any other situation and apply it to scripture. And it's, it's just, a, what it is, is it's a bias of unbelief. I come already not believing. So when I investigate into the real Jesus, I've got to find something to justify my unbelief lest I be forced to believe in the course of my investigation. And many who have come fairly unbiased have actually gotten saved as they discuss and try to read into these things because they think it's so obvious. Of course, the Bible is just rife with obnoxious contradictions. And they discover the opposite. So, where was Jesus when he healed the blind man? Here's another, uh, another supposed contradiction. Luke 18. Then it happened. Here's the first example. Then we'll combat that with another passage. Uh, As he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So, they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that, they should be, that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So he's on his way to Jericho as he was coming near Jericho. Then we read a parallel passage in Mark 10. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Um, The thing that makes it seem like it's the same blind man is the particular phrase, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People didn't typically call Jesus that. This is an anomaly. So it's thought that this was probably the same blind guy. It's possible that it was a different blind guy. But it seems as though it's the same guy and you've got him on on one he's on his way in to Jericho or on his way near Jericho but he seems to be coming toward it and another he's coming out of it, clearly coming out of it. So here he is on his way out of Jericho. So what's the solution? I mean, how can we reconcile this issue? Well, a German archaeologist excavated around Jericho in the early 1800s and he discovered that in Jesus's day there was what was called the twin cities of Jericho the twin cities of Jericho. The old Jericho had been destroyed, but it was still there, and there were still some people living there, but it had largely been destroyed. The other city was newly rebuilt by the Romans, and it was it was much nicer, and, and, and they're both called Jericho. So there were two Jerichos right next to each other, and Jesus was on his way out of one and into the other. That's what it seems to be. I think this is really interesting because up until that archaeological discovery, you wouldn't have known any way to reconcile this if you, if you thought that they are the same blind man. How do we reconcile this? You might have come up with a couple theories and just said, maybe just said to yourself, I don't know how to reconcile it, but I'm not going to let this one little thing undermine my faith in God's word. And it turns out you would have made the right choice. Just saying, Lord, You've you've got prophecy. You've got things no one else can do. I'm going to trust your word and not just let one little straw break the camel's back because I can't explain one thing. Yet oftentimes the atheist is asking Christians to dismiss the entire Bible if there's one thing they can't explain. Well, there's one thing I can't explain about everything in life. It doesn't make it not true. Um, So the critics have erred not knowing enough history in this case. What time was Jesus crucified? This is another one uh, Bart Ehrman brings up. And he knows better. <laughs> but he still says it. And I'm not saying he's trying to lie to people. But he's trying to get them to believe things that aren't entirely accurate. <laughs> um, actually, what would, what would surprise you about this guy, Bart Ehrman, is if you met him, you'd probably think he was a really nice guy. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't come with devil horns. You know? When he talks, fire doesn't come out of his mouth and poison doesn't drip off of his teeth. None of that stuff happens. It's just the fact that what he's leading you to believe isn't exactly accurate. Uh, So Mark 15, it says, And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. It was the third hour. Now that makes it 9 a.m. for Mark, 6 o'clock being the beginning of the day. It's the third hour of the day. So it's about 9 o'clock in the morning. Then we read in John a parallel passage. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. So here Jesus is just going to be crucified and it's the sixth hour. Yet in the other passage, it was the third hour and he was already, uh, it was already happening. So is John saying that at 12 p.m. Jesus wasn't on the cross yet, but he was still standing before Pilate on trial? Here's the solution. Mark was referring to the Jewish time system starting at 6 a.m. John, a different writer, he's referring to the Roman time system whose day began at 12 a.m. like our modern day does. Our modern sixth hour would be what time? 6 a.m. So the difference is 6 a.m., And 9 a.m. So the chronology fits. It's fine. It's fine. That's not a contradiction. The trial before Pilate was at 6 a.m. After the Jewish trials that had happened through the night, then at 6 a.m. at the very beginning, the first moment they get Pilate, they can. And then the crucifixion happened at 9 a.m. So that seems to be resolved. And then you've got another one. How did Judas die? How did Judas die? Was it hanging or was it gutting or some similar type thing so let's read the passages here Matthew 27 5 then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself hanged himself so we're looking at like rope around a neck on a tree of some kind he hung himself that's the Matthew passage but in Acts we have a slightly different story it says now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out That seems to be a different type of account. So, the supposed contradiction, it says like this. Well, did Judas die by hanging or by gutting of some kind? Did he fall or did he get hanged? Well, the solution is, and I I, I imagine you can figure this out on your own. The solution is that both stories are true. And I have three options as to how that could be. One, he hung himself. Later, the rope broke. And falling headlong, his guts burst out, he hit rocks or something like that, and the guts, but, you know, grossness. Uh, the branch itself broke when he went to hang himself, the, the branch broke, and perhaps falling is what killed him. The fall and not the hanging, that's possible. Or later, someone came and cut him down. And cut, they cut him down. They didn't have a, a cherry picker to, to, to get him out of there. They, they cut him down and he falls headlong, and it would make sense if he had been hanging for a little while, for then his body to become weakened and for his innards to burst out. Typically, when guys are walking down the street, they don't fall and explode. <laughs> In fact, if all you had was the Acts chapter 1 information, you'd be like, he fell and and blew up. Like, that doesn't make sense. It makes more sense when you get the whole story and you understand, okay, it involved a hanging and it involved this. Uh, after death, there's swelling and there's, you know, other unpleasantries so let's do another one now when i went to college this is the contradiction that my college professor hit me with the first day of school it was logic and critical thinking class and my professor he uh, he said raise your uh, we'll go around tell us your guys names tell us your name and then tell us something about yourself now and i'm a believer so i'm of course i'm thinking i know my name and i'm a christian like that's what i'm going to say so he 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 gets to me and i said my name's mike i'm a christian And he goes, I have a question for you, my college professor, who probably had read the Bible more than I had at at that point in time, or at least read about things about the Bible, one or the other. And he says to me, how is it that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 have two contradictory accounts of creation? And I was like, wait, Genesis 1 and 2, what does it say? I mean, I'm just a kid. I don't know. I've read it, but I I don't have it like loaded in the back of my head at that moment. Well, Genesis 1, it says that the trees are made on day three, right? In the six-day creation. On day six, animals, and then Adam and Eve. Finally, last, man is made. Genesis 2 says something, according to my professor, a little different. It says that God makes Adam... Then he makes a garden, and he puts trees and stuff in it, so trees come after Adam. Then he makes beasts of the field, and he shows them to Adam. And then finally, after all that, then he makes Eve. And so he said, these are two contradictory accounts. And so I didn't have any resources back then. The Internet was not well known, right? Because I'm not that young, as young as that anyway. And so the, you couldn't go and Google it and be like, "Somebody help." <laughs> I just like went home and I read the Bible. And I read Genesis 1 and 2 and I thought, wait a minute. And here's what we discover, the solution. These are complementary passages. Genesis 1 is a general account of God creating all things on the last day he created man, right? Genesis 2 is a more detailed account of day 6. It's specifically talking about day 6. And what God makes in day 6 is not a... a, uh, an undoing or a redoing of what he did in the previous days. It goes like this. The trees and animals made on day six in the garden were merely examples of the stuff he had already made earlier in the creation week. So, and we can prove this. This is, this is absolutely clear. Um, there are examples for Adam. and Only certain samples were made of the trees. Only the trees that would bear fruit. Were put in the garden. It wasn't every kind of tree on the planet earth. It was a specifically a really nice garden to hang out in, a bunch of fruit trees. The beasts were there. It was only the beasts of the field. It wasn't every cre- creature that crawls on the earth. I mean he made everything in the earlier times and then he made samples of certain things to show Adam in the garden. These are two complementary accounts. that are really not contradictory. As I said, the trees that produce fruit. I brought this to my college professor. And I said, uh, and I waited till after class, and I came up to him, uh, Dr. Uh, Groover, I think, if I remember his name correctly, it's been a little while, and I said, Dr. Groover, I said, hey, can I talk to you after class, you know, I said, I got my Bible there, and I opened it to Genesis 1 and 2, and I'm like, I'm just going to walk him through it, you know, he he just didn't know, he just didn't know, and I want to help him know, and I don't want to embarrass him, you know, because he was like wrong about the Bible, that's kind of embarrassing. So I go to him and I'm like, Dr. Groover, can, can I show you this? I said, so Genesis 1 is actually da-da-da. And I explained to him what I explained to you. And I showed it to him and he looks at me and he goes, I knew that. I just, I just wanted to challenge you. What a jerk. <laughs> you didn't want to challenge me. You wanted me not to look it up. You wanted me to think that the Bible had contradictions that you didn't even think it had. This happens all the time. It happens all the time where contradictions, it ends, that's why it becomes quantity over quality because you start chasing these things down and every time you chase one down and it ends up not being a contradiction, you lose any belief that there are contradictions. You start to go, ah, and so what do we have to do? We have to chase them down. So over the uh, the next few, uh, pro- well, at least next time and maybe even after that, I'm going to be dealing with supposed contradictions in the Bible. I don't think that we've done enough so far. To feel like we've covered and there are some where I'm not sure how to resolve them and I want to present those to you so you understand where they are because I think that we should be an informed people and I'm not afraid of having a question mark at the end of a sentence when it comes to things like that because I believe based on prophecy, based on the transformation of, of my own life through Jesus Christ, based on the worldview of Christianity being the only plausible worldview that I've ever heard, based on you name it you know all these various facts that support the scriptures. That a a, uh, a question mark at the end of a sentence isn't going to then undo all of those things, because that would just be even more confusing. <laughs> Boy, if the Bible's not God's word, then how did it get accurate prophecy, detailed hundreds and hundreds of years in advance? Like, explain that to me. Um, yeah. So we'll be getting into that over the next few weeks. Um, and if there's any particular contradictions, you guys have experienced someone bringing up to you supposed contradictions, and you're like, I don't really know how to handle this, please shoot it over to me, and I may well include it in the, uh, in the process. So, do you guys have any questions? Any questions? It's a shorter night tonight, because I've just been really busy the last few weeks, so I didn't uh, plan as much for my own sanity.